Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is the Jerry Callahan Show. What I miss, what happened since I've been gone? Three months it's been since you've last heard from me. I've been tweeting. I've been doing fine. I just did not have a voice. I blew out my voice three months ago doing this right here. Actually, it was doing the uh, Rob Carson radio show. Ironhead was sitting right here next to me. And it was a big deal. It was right after the uh, savages attacked in Israel and killed children, raped women. So I kind of uh, got a little fired up. And uh, by the end of the show, I sounded like Frank, Frank Pantangeli, you know, like at the end when he was in the bathtub. Yeah. Or I sounded like uh, Vito Corleone after he'd been uh, shot a few times. I didn't have a voice. It's happened to me before over the last few years, but uh, generally I bounce back in a day or two. Well, this was uh, much longer than a day or two and much, much more difficult. I have uh, a problem with my vocal cords that flares up time and again, now and then. This one was a, a little more uh, challenging than in the past. So I've had some treatment. I've had a few injections right there, right into the throat. And I probably will have some more. And I've had voice therapy and I do my little voice exercises and I am doing much better, believe it or not. And I will uh, do this right here. I will do this show for as long as I can. And I will uh, see how it goes. We're going to do, do, we're going to be back Monday morning, the usual time. We'll do our usual thing. There's a lot going on. Got a New Hampshire primary on Tuesday. We got some big NFL games on uh, Sunday. Looking forward to that. If we have time, Ironhead and I are going to make our predictions. I don't know how we're doing in our picks. We took three months off, but uh, <laughs> we're starting over, Ironhead. We'll start over with the uh, four playoff games this weekend, which are I'm so much looking forward to. Good games, good matchups, real drama, and... We're going to get into the uh, Patriots coaching situation as well. But I feel like I have to pick up where I left off. And I'll tell you why. I was absolutely infuriated, fired up uh, right after the attacks in Israel. And uh, I've been on Twitter. I've been talking to people when I can. And generally, everybody says, man, you are missing so much here. And I was. And it was killing me. And the thing that bothered me the most, and we'll get to get to some of the big stories we missed. We'll get to uh, Mayor Wu and her uh, uh, no whites allowed Christmas party. We'll get to Claudine Gay. That's a, that's a big story. I got some things to say about that. But right after October 7th, right after the attack, where the subhuman savages from Hamas went into Israel and slaughtered women, children, innocent civilians, by the way, most of whom were leftists, most of whom were sympathizers 
with the Palestinian cause. They lived in communes. They lived in kibbutzes. They were hippies. They were they were liberals. Some of them were um, overt in their support of the Palestinians. One guy they killed would go to Palace, uh, go to uh, Gaza, pick people up and drive them to Israel every day to go to work. They slaughtered the guy. They killed the guy. That's how indiscriminate this was. So I was furious and fired up. And I thought I couldn't get any more disgusted until I saw the reaction in this country. And I saw it up close. As I tweeted yesterday, I've probably been to four or five of these rallies, these pro-Hamas rallies. There's been a few on Boston Common. I saw this big uh, parade, this big march down Newbury Street. I've seen a lot of these supporters of the savages. I have yet to see one person condemn Hamas. They say, you know, they don't support terrorism. They don't support what happened on October 7th. They just feel bad for the people of Gaza. Well, they don't show it. Nobody ever. I've heard the speakers. I've seen the signs. I've had talked to some of them. None of them condemns Hamas. They were calling for a ceasefire on October 8th. What has happened since in Gaza is, has nothing to do with how these people feel. They just hate Jews. They just hate Israel. They don't care about Gaza. They don't care about children in Gaza. If they did, they would condemn Hamas. Hamas is the ones who put the kids in harm's way. Hamas is the one that has hostages now, 130-something hostages, including Americans. Which brings me to the next thing, which has driven me nuts. They're holding Americans. Terrorists are holding Americans. Terrorists are holding babies. There was a kid, Kafir, little redheaded baby. He turned one year old yesterday. He's been held in captivity for one third of his life. These hostages have been held for 104 days. 104 days. Tell me the last time you heard the president, Joe Biden, mention hostages. I saw this on uh, Greg Kelly last night. He pointed out in 1979, the Iranians held 444 Americans. It was an obsession in this country. It's all we talked about. It's all the president talked about. Nightline, the show with Ted Koppel, was born out of that crisis. We demanded they free the Americans. Well, there's not 400, uh, um, sorry, there are 50 hostages for 444 days. There's only six or eight. We don't even know the exact number of hostages, Americans. Our president never mentions them. It's amazing. Nobody seems to care. Um, Joe Biden talks about junk fees more than he talks about Americans being held by terrorists. How is that possible? The guy's on vacation constantly. He's on the beach. He's in St. Croix. He's on uh, Delaware. He's in Camp David. He doesn't seem to care that these terrorists are holding more than 100 innocent civilians hostage, that they're killing children, raping women, holding Americans, and nobody mentions it. I mean, not even, you know, right-wing media. 
barely mentions the fact that they have held Americans for 104 days. It's just nuts. I don't get it. I don't get why people don't demand before any ceasefire talks, before any humanitarian efforts, give us back our people, period. Why is that not the biggest story, the top priority for the administration? And by the way, the humanitarian aid, the, the terrorists, the savages, they take it. They steal it. Civilians who try to grab some food are shot. The people in this country marching in the streets from Dearborn, Michigan to Cambridge, Massachusetts, wholeheartedly support a terrorist organization that's no different than ISIS, no different than Al-Qaeda. If after 9-11, people immediately started marching in the streets in support of Al-Qaeda, in support of the Taliban, which sheltered Al-Qaeda, it would be just like what's happening now. It'd be no different. It's madness. And if you go, I'll go through Boston Common tomorrow. There'll be another rally. Palestinian flags demanding a ceasefire. I will remind these people once again, there was a ceasefire on October 6th. The scumbag savages broke the ceasefire. You don't have a ceasefire after what they did. And by the way, they have no intention of honoring it. If Israel agreed to a ceasefire, Hamas would attack tomorrow. They have said as much. They want more October 7th. You're asking one side to put down their arms. That's what you're doing. And you're supporting the absolute scum of the earth. That's what you're doing. That's, that's, that's what hundreds of thousands of Americans are doing still to this day until they give back our people, till they free one-year-old kafir, there can be no discussion, not even a mention of a ceasefire. I will say this. I like the fact that the far left is turning on Joe Biden because he won't demand a ceasefire. He's in a box, and it's great to see because he's so used to pandering to these people, and he just can't do it because it would be insane. I wish, I wish I was here for it. I wish I was here for the entire month of October because it was utter madness and there should be no ceasefire. There can't be a ceasefire until the hostages freed and Hamas surrenders, period. All right, I got a list here and I can't do it all, Ironhead. I know we're going to make this quick. Again, we'll be back Monday. We hope uh, the good Lord willing and my uh, vocal cords willing, we will be back Monday. But there were days, I have to say, there were days and people were taunting me on Twitter saying, man, I bet you wish you were around for this. And I certainly was. The, the, uh, the stories, there were local stories that went national, like Mayor Wu having a electeds of color Christmas party, no whites allowed. And then telling everyone, what's the big deal? We've been doing it for years. We've been discriminating based on race for years. Why is it a big deal now? And she became a national laughingstock. She really did. And it was amazing too, when you think about it, they literally couldn't invite her husband, <laughs> her husband, her kids, not invited because you can't, you don't check the right box. 
it really is out of control now. And we kind of rolled from uh, Mayor Wu right into Claudine Gay. This was a story that I really uh, wanted to talk about. And I did tweet about it. But I think there was something people didn't understand, uh, fully grasp about what Claudine is, what she did. Um, Plagiarism is a capital offense in journalism, in academia. Many, many students have been expelled from the university, from Harvard and others for plagiarism. God knows, uh, newspapers, magazines, you're not, if you're a real newspaper, I'm not talking about the Boston Globe, I'm talking about actual journalism, actual newspapers. There's no tolerance for journal, uh, for plagiarism. It's not a little mistake. It is the cardinal sin. You commit plagiarism, you're done. Now, if you work at a joke of an outlet like the Boston Globe, you might get two or three or five chances like Mike Barnacle, Patricia Smith. Uh, there are people there who knowingly plagiarized and survived for years because they don't really have standards. But if you worked at a real newspaper and you got caught once stealing someone else's work, you're out. It's just not tolerated. And what she did would not be tolerated by a, a freshman or a low-level staffer or a professor. She's the president. See, I love this story because more than anything else, it exposed the DEI scam. This person, Claudine Gay, was not qualified to be the dean of a cooking school, of a, of a tractor-trailer school, a community college. She would not have gotten anywhere near Harvard or Stanford or Phillips Exeter if she didn't check all the boxes. She was the ultimate DEI hire who ascended to the highest levels of her profession just because she was a black woman, a, a, a hardcore leftist black woman. That's it. She couldn't have got there any other way. She initially survived when she went before Congress and said that uh, calls for the genocide of Jews didn't necessarily violate the speech code at Harvard. She and the president of Penn and the president of MIT all downplayed anti-Semitism. They all should have been fired that day. The University of Pennsylvania president was a white woman, was fired for doing the same thing Claudine Gay did. Claudine Gay survived. Then, through the dogged work of actual journalists at the Washington Free Beacon and Chris Rufo, she was exposed as a liar, a cheater, a plagiarist. The fact that there were 700 faculty members at Harvard who wrote a letter, signed a letter supporting her, showed you just how morally bankrupt Harvard is. What she did was clear cut. You fire people, you expel them, you're done with them, you wash your hands with them if they're stealing other people's work. She not only survived uh, the initial assault, she's still a professor. She's still making $900,000 a year. She's literally teaching kids, students, 
a person this dishonest, this unethical, still has a job. And people on the left, we saw them all. Uh, Mara Gay at the New York Times, Al Sharpton, Mark Lamont Hill, all the usual suspects defending her and saying it was racist. Well, here's my question. If you're a big believer in DEI, you should despise this woman. She should hate everything about her. You got her hired. You got her this job. You demanded affirmative action. And here it is. And she was so lazy and dishonest. She couldn't do her own work. She never wrote a book. She barely got any papers published. And when she did, she was too lazy to do the work herself. That is as low as it gets. And yet people defended her for the same reason they promoted her. Because she was born with these immutable characteristics. This is the ultimate child of privilege. She went to Phillips Exeter. She went to Stanford. She was a professor at Stanford. She came to Harvard. She leapfrogged over people who'd written books and research papers, brilliant academics, just because of these immutable characteristics. And then she got caught, and they don't even have the guts to fire her. If she were white, male, heterosexual, conservative, she wouldn't have lasted five minutes. She would never work in academia again. But she's a Harvard professor making 900 grand and probably doing a whole lot of nothing. Just there because she checks all the boxes. And the media reaction was just amazing to me. Why? How? You can defend this person. I understand why you wanted her hired because how she looks. But when she got caught cheating, lying, she stabbed you in the back. She betrayed you. You should say, good riddance. She's, we want good black women uh, uh, elevated. We want honest, hardworking black women. People like this, crooks, thieves, liars, you should want them out. She's bad for business if you're Al Sharpton or Mara Gay or Mark Lamont Hill. She's not good for you, for your cause. Quite the contrary. But the media reaction was amazing. And I said this to you, Ironhead, I don't know, a month ago. I said, whenever we're back, I have one cut, one clip I have to play. Because as you know, I'm a critic. I'm a, a fierce critic of the mainstream media. They're so thoroughly, utterly corrupt. It's beyond belief. And it's getting worse every day. And we got a lot to get to on that today, next week. Um, got to get to some of those Trump trials, which are amazing. The one, the, the woman, the, the, the crazy woman in New York who's in court with him now, that case is just so incredible. How anybody, any honest person, any honest broker could ever look at that and not laugh at this woman is beyond me. But we'll get to that. I want to get to this clip from a CNN legal analyst talking about Claudine Gay who was caught plagiarizing at least 50 times. It's a woman who barely wrote. And when she did, she couldn't do her own work. Um, she stole from other people. She even stole the acknowledgments in one of her pieces, acknowledging, thanking people. She didn't, she didn't have the, the decency to thank people 
on her own. She had to steal it from someone else. Listen to this defense. And I know it's a couple of weeks old, but I've been waiting and saving it because it is so amazing. It tells you all you need to know. The people at CNN know she's dishonest. They know she's a liar and a fraud, but they don't care. She's, she's their, their, you know, their kind of person, an affirmative action hire, a diversity hire. So they're going to defend her against all the facts. I don't even know this guy's name. Do you have his name, Iron Ed? I forget it. CNN it. analyst. I don't have this guy's name, but I'm sure I'll, f- I'll find it in a second. Go get it. Let's listen. Play him C- on CNN defending Claudine Gay. Go ahead. And then you layer on top of that these plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, we should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, she's been accused of sort of a, more like a copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more <laughs> sloppy ap- attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. But I nonetheless, you, you put all of that together and you throw oh, on. T- I love that so much. She's not been accused of stealing people's ideas. She's just taking their ideas and presenting them as her own. <laughs> he defined plagiarism and that should we should point out she's not really being accused of plagiarism. Why? Why do you want to defend her? That's what I don't get. Why? She betrayed you. She did not. Uh, live up to your expectations. Why? What's his name? Matt Egan. Yep. Seen analyst Matt Egan. This man, next time he's on the air, should put on a clown nose, a big bozo hair. I mean, this is a clown. He knows what she did. He knows how unethical it is. They all do. People in journalism know if you do this, when you're right out of college, L, you're in college, you know you steal someone else's stuff. You you're out of the business for the most part. Some people survive. Doris Kearns Goodwin is a thief and a plagiarist. She stole half a book on Kathleen Kennedy and somehow because she's Doris Kearns Goodwin, somehow she survived. Barnacle, he's on MSNBC every morning. A serial plagiarist stole made up stuff, should never work in the business. He should be greeter, a greeter at Walmart. He should not be working in the business. But he is because he's a good liberal and he has a lot of influence in his family. So he survived. But for the most part, you steal, you're done. Except if you're president of Harvard. (laughs) Harvard is a joke now. And I love it. People will look at Harvard and just say it is a place where free speech goes to die, where they defend and support anti-Semitism. Keep in mind, they they didn't just protest in favor of the Palestinians. They intimidated Jewish kids. They assaulted Jewish kids, which I find incredible. Think about it. You're a Jewish kid in Cambridge, Mass, or wherever. You're in New York or LA or Chicago. What do you have to do with Israel, with Netanyahu, with the military, with the IDF? How are you, because you were born with a certain ethnicity, raised in a certain religion, you're responsible? for what people who have that same religion are doing 5,000 miles away. So these morons are literally shouting down and, and, and uh, uh, vandalizing things 
that relate to Jewish kids. It's just so disgusting and despicable. And the president of Harvard and Penn and many other places didn't have the decency to condemn it. Just amazing. But they're part of the, those kids are all part of their, their new tunnel syndicate. That's right. Right. It's like, how is some Jewish guy in New York responsible for what the Israeli military is doing? It's just, it's so vile and insidious that I was surprised. I have to say, initially I knew there'd be some wackos supporting, you know, Hamas. I never knew they would come out in these numbers where it's not safe to like wave an Israeli flag. The only guy who has the guts to wave an Israeli flag John Fetterman, my man. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about him. Man. We missed the complete evolution of John Fetterman, a guy I thought would be the worst senator. He's got balls. He's come out and condemned uh, Menendez, that scumbag taking money from Egypt, gold bar Bob Menendez. He has come out and waved the Israeli flag in front of uh, Hamas protesters. Oh, my God, really? I don't know if he'll keep it up, but you know what happened? His brain healed and he became a conservative. So new respect for John Fetterwoman. <laughs> My name is John Fetterwoman. You know what? He has stepped out of line, which is something Democrats never do. Mm-hmm. Republicans do it all the time. We have all kinds of uh, uh, traitors to the cause and Mitt Romney and Nikki you know, Haley, Susan uh, Collins, Democrats never do that. Mm-hmm. So it was shocking to see Fetterman do it. Plus, I didn't think he had the, you know, I just thought he was kind of a zombie following the crowd. But he has stepped on the line, and it's beautiful to see. I wasn't going to get into Fetterman, but tip of the cap to John Fetterman. Ooh, don't do it. <laughs> I wonder how far he'll go. You know, uh-huh. will he keep this up? I know he's a hardcore liberal. But let's be honest, even if you're liberal, you have to, you should condemn anti-Semitism. You know, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Harvard came out with a big thing today saying they're going to fund whatever, a study and fund and uh, support efforts to combat anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Well, one of those things is alive and well on campus. Show me where Islamophobia is a problem on Harvard. It's just the opposite. They just can't bring themselves to say the problem is anti-Semitism. The problem is this Jew hatred, which surprised even me. I'm pretty cynical. I didn't think we had this level of hate for this small minority. I mean, they're 2% of the country, and there's just this uprising of hate for them that I don't quite get, and I'm not going to shut up about it but all right we uh before we go we got to get to gerard mayo and the patriots first of all i was not surprised that belichick and Kraft parted ways amicably we think although there's all kinds of rumors these things are never completely amicable or they wouldn't part but i we should be more surprised that it lasted 24 years because these are big confident Mm-hmm. guys these are leaders these are alphas and they got along and they won for 24 years that was remarkable um the last couple of years have been dreadful 
the, the quarterback situation is a mess. So Belichick and Kraft shake hands and go their separate ways. Immediately, all anyone was talking about is who's the next guy. Will it be Mike Vrabel, this guy, whoever? Um, the, the choice was already made by Bob Kraft. He already selected. He was the heir apparent, Gerard Mayo. Now, Gerard Mayo is a likable guy, a personable guy. I generally like when you take a guy who lacks experience because you really uh, have faith in him and you think he's going to be a good leader. I mean, look at the coaches around the league. Um, look at, you know, uh, Sean McVay or, uh, or Kevin O'Connell or uh, uh, Matt LaFleur or uh, Mike McDaniel. Young, smart, innovative guys, particularly offensive guys. I like that choice rather than bringing in some guy, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Jack uh, Del Rio or some retread or, or Ron Rivera. I, I don't like the idea of saying, well, he's experienced. He's lost, you know, got fired six times. I like trying to, trying to identify the next smart, hot, innovative guy. It's working around the league. It is. I mean, Andy Reid's hanging tough, but you have a lot of young guys who are, you know, look at, uh, uh, what's his name? And uh, D'Amico, D'Amico Ryan in uh, Houston. Um, the good, young, smart guys are, are, are doing a good job out there. So I like this in theory. Gerard Mayo has to be the least experienced um, head coach. He's now the youngest head coach. It's an amazing stat that Sean McVay has been the youngest head coach since he got hired uh, seven years ago. And now, and he's been the youngest head coach for seven. And now Mayo is, uh, I think, a year younger than him. He's now the youngest head coach, but he's by far, by far the least experienced. Not only has he not been a head coach, he's never been a coordinator. He's only been a inside linebacker coach for five years. That's it. He's 37. So the resume is light. Again, I don't mind you taking a chance on a guy because you say, why wait? He's got all the uh, characteristics. He's a leader. He's well-respected. He's smart. He's all those things. So he gets hired and I'm like, good, you know, let's see what happens. Day one, boy, he steps in it. This went viral. This was big. And I understand why, because people are sick of this. They're sick of people seeing racism where there is none. I mean, it just, they're just tired of it. They're worn out by it. The NFL is not racist. The NFL is a meritocracy. If you hired if you signed players, if you made deals, drafts based on race, you'd last 10 minutes in the league. It's just too important. It's too competitive. So we have seen Belichick for 26, 24 years. There's never been a hint of anything you know, racist. He's, no, no one's ever accused him of it. No one's ever thought it. And he's the best coach ever. Not only does he not have a problem with you know, race or he, he takes a chance. Well, he has taken chances on some of the most uh, uh, questionable black guys. You know, Antonio Brown, uh, Albert Hainsworth, uh, Ocho Cinco, um, uh, Corey Dillon. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But he's unafraid. I honestly don't think Belichick gave race a thought once in his career. 
And look what happened. He won six Super Bowls. You know, he's going to break the all-time coaching record. Uh, if he goes to Dallas, he could break it in a year. But uh, he's probably going to end up in Atlanta, which is too bad. I was really hoping for Dallas. But Mayo is the first black coach in New England. And I'm sure Bob Kraft is proud of that. But Kraft was asked about it. And he said, hey, I don't see race. I hire the best guy. I believe that. Of course, if the best guy were white and he were 37 and he'd never been a coordinator, all the usual race hustlers would explode. Jamel Hill and Mike Freeman and Mike Florio would be going, Peter King would be going crazy. But the 37-year-old guy with no experience is black, so they're happy. And that's fine. I have no problem with this guy. I think it's a good choice until he gave this answer. And then I wondered, are his priorities in the right place? Bob Kraft says he doesn't see race. I don't think Belichick saw race. I don't think Andy Reid, you know, sees race or Mike McDaniel. I think they know they can't. It's too competitive. You could do that at Harvard. You could do that if you work in, you know, the Biden administration. You could do that if you worked at some, some college or some big corporation. In the NFL, you can't afford to do anything but pick the best players, best coaches, best people. You can't. But he's asked about it, and he gives just the dumbest answer, uh, which, of course, you know, Mike Freeman and Jamel Hill and thought it was wonderful. But he wants you to know, as he embarks on his first head coaching job, that he does see race, that race is a factor. God, let's listen. I do see color because I believe if you don't see color, you can't see racism. And whatever, whatever happens, black, white, disabled person, I've always, even someone with disabilities, I always, uh, you know, for the most part, people are like, you know, don't, you know, when they're young, they, they kind of make the spot hot. Younger people know what that means. But what I would say is, like, no, I want you to be able to go up to those people and really understand those people. So it goes back to whatever it is, black, white, yellow, it really doesn't matter, but it does matter so we can try to fix a problem that we all know we have. All right, here we we go. Follow-up question, which I don't think was asked. What's the problem? We have to fix the problem. A guy who's 37, never been a head coach, never been a coordinator, never been a college coach, just got named head coach in the New England Patriots He's probably making, I don't know, $5 million. And he says, we have to fix the problem that we all know we have. What's the problem? What? Can, can someone answer that for me? Can you answer that, Ironhead? What problem is he talking about? Um, there's not enough Asians in the league. That's why he <laughs> included them. Was he saying that he wants to sign some disabled players? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just he – here's – Here's the reaction I knew we'd get. I mean, uh, do I have that from, uh, I do, from, uh, here's from, uh, let's say, Mike uh, Freeman. He writes for USA Today. He's been everywhere. He's at the Globe. He's, uh, you know, not quite Jamel Hill's level, but everything's black and white, and every coach has to be black or he'll go nuts. He, He reports what Mayo said, and then he writes, and that's why what Mayo said is so important and brave, brave. It may seem like a simple thing to say that seeing race is important because in order to solve this country's dire racial issues, you have to first identify them. Duh. 
what? First of all, he's going to solve America's dire racial issues. Secondly, how? How? He's a football coach. Hell, he's not even a GM. He's going to coach the players. So he has to see race to solve the country's dire racial issues. He, a, I would say there is no such thing at this point, unless you want to talk about anti-white, anti-Asian discrimination. What would he suggest Gerard Mayo do to solve the country's dire racial issues? He's going to bring uh, black slot receivers back to the Patriots, and he's going <laughs> to have the first white corner since Jason Seahorn. I think you know, that's I got a lot of uh, reaction when I was tweeting about this, and I did get a few who said, look at Belichick. He had to have a white receiver all the time. And I'm going, a white receiver that led the league like in receptions? That led you to the Super Bowl? I mean, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, these were, these were great. Yep. Great. Welker should be a Hall of Famer, by the way, if you look at his numbers. These are great white receivers. You think Belichick thought of race? You think Belichick ever thought of race? And look how it turned out. Um, but here's, before we go, I want you to listen to what Mike Freeman thought was great and brave and Jamel Hill thought was wonderful. Here's what Gerard Mayo actually said. Here's what's going to help solve the national issue. Um, I transcribed it, half tip to uh, Matt Walsh, who did this, and uh, I said, good idea. But I was wondering, because I was wondering what he said is going to translate into what he will do as coach. It's so important to see race, to solve racism. Well, what does he mean? Like, what will he do? How will that manifest itself on the field in the locker room? So, this, don't forget, this is very uh, intelligent and very brave, according to Mike Freeman. You ready? Quote, this is Gerard Mayo. Whatever happens, black, white, disabled person, I've always, even someone with disabilities, I've always, for the most part, you know, when you're young, they kind of make the spot hot. Young people know what that means. But I will say, no, I wait. I want you to be able to go up to these people and really understand these people. So I go back to whatever, white, black, yellow. It really doesn't matter, but it does matter. But we can try to fix the problem that we all know we have. You got it? Yep. There's no Asians in the league. <laughs> oh, just so brave. So if he said what Todd Bowles said, what Mike Tomlin said when they've asked about in the past, if he said, I don't see race, I see people, I see talent, I'm going to put the best team on the field. I'm going to coach them hard. I'm going to lead them. That wouldn't be brave. It's brave to say uh, when you kind of young people know what that means, but I would say, no, I want people to get up, go up to these people and really understand these people. And it goes back to whatever white back yellow. What? By the way, he said he left coaching because he had to get away from Belichick. He went to work in finance and he named the guys he worked for at this financial firm, and he said they taught him all about diversity. Can I just say, without knowing who they are, that Belichick 
is a much better leader and a role model for Gerard Mayo now than those finance guys who taught him all about diversity ever were. He should have taken his, his cue from Belichick and learned it ain't about, you know, black, white, yellow, disabled. It's about people, the best people. It's about merit. Uh, we'll leave it there. Quickly, Iron Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. Houston at Baltimore. What's the spread? Nine. Uh, Baltimore's getting nine? Baltimore's, they're home. They're number one seed. Of course, they're not getting nine. I'm going to go Houston easily. Me too. Uh, CJ Stroud is the best rookie quarterback I've ever seen. He's amazing. He's so smart. He's so mm-hmm. good. Uh, he'll lose, but maybe by seven or eight. How's that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Bay at San Fran, San Francisco minus nine. San Francisco. I'm going to go Green Bay because I don't know. Here's my problem when I look at these games is I look at the game they just played, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Justin Love, uh, Jordan Love looks so great and C.J. Stroud and the team looks so good, so well coached. But San Fran, they had the week off. That's better. Being off is better than playing well. And I look at the team that played well and I get sucked in. So I'm going to do it again. Green Bay <laughs> plus nine. Tampa Bay at Detroit, Detroit minus six and a half. Detroit by 21 points. I'm with you on that. Detroit over Tampa, which is uh, their luck has run out. This is my favorite game of the year. Kansas City at Buffalo. Finally, Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game. First. He's played like 15 playoff games. Never played a road game. At Buffalo, where it's going to be like zero, I assume. Mm -hmm. Bills minus three. I'm going to pick with my heart and say, Bills, I want to see the Chiefs go down and I want to see them miserable and frozen. Taylor Swift, oh, she'll be in a box, so she won't be frozen. But I just want to see the Bills advance and get out of this, go to the AFC Championship game. They're fun to watch. Uh, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Oh, good. Handedly, because uh, something's wrong with the Buffalo Bills. I don't know what it is. Oh, there's no question. They're dysfunctional. They got issues. Stefan Diggs is hurt. I don't know. You're probably right. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to that one Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But we will leave it there. We'll get back to it on Monday. How's that? Monday morning. Sounds great. We'll talk about uh, whatever happens over the weekend in the NFL. We'll also talk about uh, the Tuesday primary day in New Hampshire. Nikki Haley, chief on her husband. Trump, soon to name his VP. I want to talk about that, too. I have some thoughts. It had better not be Nikki Haley, Trump. You cannot pick Nikki Haley. I hate her period. so much. I hate her so much. Me too. I mean, I don't know why. I, I, I feel like I hate her more than I hate like Liz Warren. Mm. She's just the worst. I can't believe all these people in New Hampshire are going to go out and vote for a vote for DeSantis. He's not going to win, but he's he's a good man. He's a good conservative. She is not. She's a warmonger and a phony. Do not vote for Nikki Haley. Please, New Hampshire. But we can get back into that Monday and Tuesday. For now... We will leave it there. It's good to be back. Thanks, Ironhead. Thanks, by the way. Can I just say thanks to everybody at Newsmax, to Lee, to Ken, to Rob Finity, Rob Carson, everybody reached out to me, checked in on me every day or two. They're, they're, just, they're good people. We work with Ironhead. You know that. But And I appreciate everybody else reaching out, tweeting at me. We'll be back for as long as these, uh, long as this lovely voice. And uh, Mont- Montante and Alice for filling in a few shows. Appreciate that. Yeah, well. thanks to them. Thanks to Montante. Thanks to Alice. Thanks to you, Iron. And thanks to everybody. It's been, uh, 
it's been a tough uh, few months. We're back. Hopefully, you know, maybe not every day. Maybe I won't be uh, singing in the choir anytime soon, but I will gut it out and we will be back Monday morning. Thanks.